Welcome to Wake Up Watch the Podcast. I am Dewana McCray, and I am here with Mike Thomasulu and Danielle Williams. So today we're going to talk about Judge Albright's revisions to his order governing procedures, what we call the OGP. And we are also going to spend some time talking about claim construction. Danielle, could you give us a breakdown of the changes to the OGP? Sure, I'd be happy to. There are three primary changes in the OGP. The first is uh, as it relates to the Rule 16 Case Management Conference. He made clear that he wants to hear from the parties on any issues that need to be resolved or addressed in any way pre-Markman. So he is definitely drawing a, a line between the pre-Markman issues and the post-Markman issues. And so strategically, we've got to spend more time deciding what's a pre-Markman issue and what's a post-Markman issue. The second is that he added a default discovery limits for venue and jurisdictional discovery. And then the last thing has to do with his Markman procedures. He reduced the number of presumed claim terms and he changed the briefing from simultaneous briefing to staged briefing. So he went from if you've got one to two patents in a case, he went from 10 terms to eight terms as the presumed limit of the number of terms that are going to be at issue in claim construction. And for the briefing, uh, you are going to have an, if you're the plaintiff, you're going to have an opening brief and a reply. And if you're the defendant, you're going to have a responsive brief and a sir reply. So there's no more of the, the simultaneous briefing between the parties. And those are the primary uh, changes to the OGP for this round. Danielle, you mentioned claim construction. Let's dive into claim construction issues. Mike, as you know, there's a current fight before Judge Albright regarding claim construction issues. Um, Plaintiff MV3 filed a motion for a new trial after the MV3 v. Roku trial ended. Could you highlight the plaintiff's arguments regarding claim construction? Yeah, so good good morning, Dewana. Good morning, Danielle. Um, so let me let me answer that by first sort of resetting everyone as to what, what happened in the case. The there were certain terms where the construction was either plain and ordinary meaning with I'll call it plain plain and ordinary meaning with a twist, where maybe there was a, an explanation of what, what the plain and ordinary meaning was, or that could be just plain and ordinary meaning, or it could have been a construction that ultimately didn't resolve the actual dispute. So that's what happened at claim construction. It became apparent through the party's motions for summary judgment, or certainly through Roku's motions for summary judgment, that the parties had a different understanding or belief as to what either the claim, the result of the claim construction's rulings were or what the plain and ordinary meaning was. So for instance, the uh, construction of the term Docking port was an important aspect of, of the case. Similar, the construction of the term mobile set-top box, was a, were, were, those were important constructions. And through the summary judgment proceeding, Roku was arguing that there was no infringement because the plain ordinary meaning, for instance, of a docking port requires a, a, some sort of a physical ex, you know, ability to physically accept the mobile device or that the mobile set-top box, which the court construed to be the device that has the combines the functionality of a mobile device with a set-top box. And Roku argued that there was no infringement because 
its device doesn't have the functionality of a set-top box. And so ultimately what happened was that the party's infringement or non-infringement positions were not really resolved by the court's claim construction. And so during the trial, the parties argued about what the plain and ordinary meaning was. And in particular, Roku was allowed to present testimony, for instance, what is the plain and ordinary meaning of a docking port? And so that brings us back to where we are now, which is MV3 partners motion for a new trial, which is based on the idea that these unresolved claim construction issues should have been resolved before trial, which is, you know, I think somewhat ironic for a plaintiff to be saying that because a lot of times it's the plaintiff that is asking for the construction to be plain and ordinary meaning. But leaving that aside, and that's sort of where we are now. So you can see how some of this plays out in, in real life when there are potentially, un, you know, the, the, the infringement or non-infringement may hinge on the party's different views on what the plain and ordinary meaning of a term is or what the construction actually, you know, means for the case. So, Mike, what do you think that means when we're putting our claim construction strategies together in front of this court? Here in MV3, the plain and ordinary meaning issue didn't uh, seem to bubble up prior to trial. And the court spent a lot of time, I mean, he, he's focused on claim construction at the outset of the, of the case. And so once we get through claim construction, what do you think that this counsels us to be thinking about as we're putting the claim construction strategy together and then continuing to work with it once the claim construction orders issued from the court? So it's a great question and I don't have an answer that's necessarily based on what we've seen so far. I can only offer an answer on things the court has said, uh, things the court has done, and what happened in this case. So with that in mind, I would say the court is taking oral argument on claim construction, and, and I think that's your first opportunity to try to explain that, you know, what to see if you can get some common ground into the record about what the plain and ordinary meaning is. For instance, if you know, the other side has says what said what the plain and ordinary meaning is and you disagree with it, you may want to say that and say that there's actually a live dispute here because the parties disagree with what the plain and ordinary meaning is. Or if the party, the other side has said what they believe the plain and ordinary meaning is and you agree with it, maybe you want to try to, uh, you know, get that cemented into the record. You know, you say, well, I mean, provided that the plain and ordinary meaning is X, which they've said, then we're okay with that construction. I don't know, you know, that the Markman hearing is going to be the most effective way to do that, unfortunately, just because of the amount of Markman hearings that the court is is holding. I think the court is doing doing its best to keep up with things, but whether the court is going to be as focused on on individual issues like that at Markman, it, I guess remains to be seen. But what I do think the court would be receptive to based on things the court has said in one form or another is that when you get more advanced in the case, maybe prior to summary judgment or prior to expert reports, go back to the court and say, look, there are two or three unresolved Markman issues that are going to be the, the, the central issues at trial or the central issues at summary judgment. And respectfully, the court needs to consider resolving those because otherwise we're going to be heading into the, the situation that the federal circuit says we should not be heading into, which is asking a jury to resolve those issues. 
So you'll recall that the court's summary judgment rulings in the MV3 Roku trial said that if there was, you know, if his claim construction rulings didn't resolve it, he was not going to resolve it. So he denied Roku's summary judgment motion saying that they were based on imperfected claim construction positions. So you know, that then pushes it all the way off to the jury. And I think the federal circuit does not like that. It does not like the idea that the jury is going to be asked to, to make a decision that could be involving a, a claim construction issue. And so that's sort of the premise of O2 micro. And I think that is, you know, that would be the hook later in the case. It might be more effective later in the case when the discovery is complete, the, you know, that you have the plaintiff's final infringement contentions and whether you're a plaintiff or the defendant, you can say, look, you know, the claim construction, we appreciate the court's efforts so far, but we don't think that we have enough from the court to, to, to take this to trial or to take this through summary judgment. I think that that is a fair position uh, for the for any party to take in a patent infringement case. In my experience, you get the claim construction from the court and then you concentrate on the constructions that the court has given you and you finish out uh, the preparation of your case for trial. And, at, and as you do that, I mean, there are things that bubble up where you're going, there's some ambiguity here, or it's not entirely clear what plain and ordinary meaning is. I mean, I always hear in my head, you know, it depends on what your definition of is, is, right? And so, I mean, if we're there, the, the people who are most familiar with the issues in the case, then I think that we know we're putting something on the jury that's inconsistent with what the instruction is from, from the federal circuit. And this court, just with what Judge Albright has, has said, I mean, he wants to be transparent and he wants there to be the, I mean, not just the appearance of transparency, but the, but actual transparency with this court. And if, and if we're finding ourselves in that position, then we need to figure out a way to, to get it before him and, and discuss it. And whether whether it's another Markman hearing, I don't know. Uh, whether it's through summary judgment, you know, this sort of suggests, you know, the MV3 suggests maybe that wasn't the right vehicle. Whether it was or wasn't, you know, we need to, to, to see if summary judgment is, is right, the right way to do it. But certainly by pushing it to the court in summary judgment, there was another opportunity for the court to say or the parties to say, well, there is a lot of dispute here, like you were saying. Yeah, I, so I think um, what what MV3 did, and, and I think we should say that, you know, what what our expectation is from our podcasting perspective is that we would, I mean, presumably, which I, unless the case were to settle, Roku's going to oppose this motion and we'll have a, a, a record on which we can comment on both the parties' positions and, and maybe that'll be the subject of something later on. But for now, I think what we can say is that Roku Roku's position was that it doesn't infringe according to the plain and ordinary meaning. Again, taking this term docking port as an example. And MV3's position was, well, hold on, that that really, you're, you're re-arguing a position that was rejected during claim construction. And the question there is, okay, well, maybe how can you bank the things that, um, you know, if the court's going to issue a construction, maybe at the, at the hearing, maybe you can try to bank things in a clearer way to say, for instance, maybe at that hearing, MV3 partners could have said something, you know, well, let's be clear, Judge, their position is that it requires this, you know, a cradle or something like that through which the, you know, can be physically accepting the, uh, the, the mobile device. 
that that's not a requirement of the claim is that I mean, that's our understanding of what you're saying is that right and see if you can get a better record at the markman hearing if, if it's heading towards a plain ordinary meaning construction or something that doesn't really dead on resolve the infringement issues maybe you can try to bank something there uh to have a better record for what 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 happens later on in the case of course, there's a risk associated with that too, especially if you, you know, maybe you already have some statements and that, that you're keen on, and maybe you don't want to give the other side an opportunity to walk those back. But maybe the best thing to do is, you know, just to get it all out there and put it in the record and say, look, this we feel like it would be helpful if we could get these further issues confirmed, or you know, whether whether we are in agreement about what this means or not. Do y'all think that there are circumstances when the parties would would want the ambiguity so that they're sort of banking on the opportunity for an appealable compelling issue for the federal circuit well i mean i think there's a lot of times where people want ambiguity i mean or maybe you feel like you have something you're happy with and you don't want to spoil it i mean so that's that's a lot of times when people are saying well like we have half a loaf and uh we just assume keep the half a loaf and and try to get the rest of the loaf some other day. So that I think those are the judgment calls that we face as lawyers. And you know, there's an I don't think some right or wrong answer. But I think at some point you need to be prepared to go to the court and say, like, we need a thumbs up or a thumbs down on this. Do you think the do you think the plaintiff or the defendant is more interested in the in the thumbs up or thumbs down? Or or does it depend on the strength and weakness of your of your infringement and validity positions? I think it really this is all again going back to this this case here you know, ultimately the mv3 roku case is a case that resolves revolves around claim construction I, I mean there's for the critical issues it seemed to me that there wasn't a huge amount of dispute about how how the devices functioned and so this really is a claim construction case and so mv3 partners got constructions it felt like it could live with uh, that weren't really dispositive one way or another. They probably thought they had pretty good constructions, but they knew that they didn't ultimately reach the, you know, issue of, well, maybe it's not fair to say they knew, but they, the, the constructions were pretty good for MV3, but they certainly didn't, they weren't, you know, game over. And so I think MV3 is, you know, was happy to have the constructions it had because it didn't end the case. But now it sees the harm, you know, of, of basically some of these plain and ordinary meaning disputes percolating up through the jury and it losing. And now it's saying, well, wait a minute, we would have liked, you know, a clearer claim construction. Or we think that, you know, they, that this plain and ordinary meaning was abused by Roku to argue claim constructions that really uh, were either rejected or are plainly not the plain and ordinary meaning. So I think a plaintiff always wants to get to trial. Once you get to trial, anything can happen. Certainly, if you're trying to win a lot of money, you want to be able to hold your position on appeal, but you ultimately would rather have a verdict than in your favor than one against you. I, I mean, I think that's indisputable. I mean, I, I don't like telling a client, well, we got him on appeal. <laughs> I haven't had to ever say that, but I wouldn't like to, to tell them like, oh, yeah, lucky for us, like, you know, even though we lost a trial, we've got them dead on appeal. So that's never where you want to be. Thank you, Mike and Danielle. This is an interesting issue that is before the court. We saw that this trial was over and it's still going on. Um, and I look forward to seeing Roku's response to MV3 partners' 
I'm motioning for a new trial, especially on this issue regarding claim construction. Thank you everyone for tuning in and then until next time, bye.